Ultron, herald of the Almighty, and voice of the one true God. Behold the Metatron, herald of the Almighty, and voice of the one true God. Behold the Metatron, herald of the Almighty, and voice of the one true God. <laughs> Hello, movie lovers. You're listening to Does It Hold Up, the podcast where we talk about some of your favorite movies of all time to see if they still hold up. I'm the 14th Apostle. And I'm Emily. (laughs) And this week we're going over the very controversial 1999 movie Dogma. From Kevin Smith, one of his early works. I love this movie. I've always loved this movie. I'm not saying it holds up because it's a problematic movie, Mm -hmm. but I love this movie. I loved it from the first time I saw it until recently. I didn't even know this movie existed until like, what, a couple of years ago when we had to watch it on what, like YouTube? Yeah. Because you can't find it anywhere anymore. Yeah, you can't. It's insane. This is a movie that people love. They talked about. It was a big deal when it came out. And now you can't even find it because I have this in research, but we'll just talk about it now. It's owned by Harvey Weinstein. That Harvey fucking Weinstein. Mm -hmm. Who is currently in jail. And he owns exclusive rights to it. Him and his brother. And up until 2020, when Weinstein got sent to jail, you could find this movie. There was physical copies of it. You could randomly find it on some streaming services every now and then. But not regularly. Once he went to jail, though, it all stopped. Why? He can't do business in jail. Mm. And because he's the one that owns the rights to it, nothing can happen with this movie. So you cannot find this movie anywhere. I think it is still on YouTube, though. It is. Well, sometimes. It comes and goes because the rights, it gets taken down because it's a full feature movie. Somebody's streaming on free for YouTube. Yeah, they have it in, like what, five parts or something like that? Something like that. And that's how you get it. But every now and then those videos get taken down, but eventually somebody else puts it back up. Mm -hmm. So you can find it to watch. It's just insane. But before we go more into this movie and all that stuff, this is the first week of Matt Damon month. We're going to try something new here on the channel in 2024. Every couple of months, when when we have a good idea, we're going to throw some theme months out there. And because... Matt Damon is one of, I don't know if he's one of your favorite actors or if he's just somebody that you love when he pops up. I do. He is my well. Whenever I have to fan cast anything, Matt Damon's name pops into my head. Right. He's like one of those go-to actors where you're like, "Ah, plug him into this movie and it's probably because he can do so many things. He's, He's very good. Very versatile. So we thought, let's do Emily's well for an entire month. So we're going to cover four movies all starring Matt Damon in some capacity. Yeah. So thank you for joining us for the first week in Matt Damon month. And now back to Dogma. Dogma. So this movie came out November 12th, 1999. It had a $10 million budget. Domestically, it took in just under 31 million. Worldwide, 44 million. And then we have three different rankings for it. 
because it came out so late in 1999, it made some of its money in 99, some of its money in 2000. In 1999, it was the 71st ranked movie. In 2000, it was the 221st ranked movie. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. But if you just take them, you take that whole 31 million that it made, you apply it just to 1999, it would have been the 69th highest grossing film of the year. Nice. <laughs> nice. <laughs> but for it ranking so low and not making that much money, this is a movie my friends and I just could not get enough of. Well, I mean, like I said, it has a lot of controversy around it. The subject matter pisses a lot of people off. Good. It should. It should. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm just saying for box office reasons, that you, could hurt, you know. You would think that would help it, though. Con- Any PR is good PR. Gets yeah. people talking. Yeah. I mean, the cinema score for this one is only a B. So it's not quite what people were expecting when they were going there. Plus, a lot of people were just boycotting it because, you know, how well, dare you talk about religion and well, co- in a comedic were, way. You think people were boycotting it, but it was like 12 people. Um, <laughs> Those are just the people who showed up. That actually makes a lot of sense because going into this, you think it's just going to be a Kevin Smith comedy. Mm-hmm. And before this, he had made things like Chasing Amy and Mall Rats were just like dumb relationship humor. And Clerks, which was a black and white film that, you know, so you're expecting one thing. You go in and you get this whole theological discussion wrapped inside of a comedy and you're like, what the f*** is this? Yeah, you're uh, you're blowing up. my mind here, man. And not in the way I was expecting. Yeah. So, <laughs> no, it makes a lot of sense. This definitely was one of those movies that had a better life on home video mm-hmm. than it did in theaters. And now if only the home video could be shown to more people now, it would continue to grow. But, oh, absolutely. Um, Roger, on the other hand, absolutely loved this movie. He gave it 3.5 stars. I was a little surprised he didn't give it four stars, but I can kind of see where that half a star goes. Yeah, absolutely. We'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, the quote I grabbed from him is... Kevin Smith's dogma grows out of an irreverent modern Catholic sensibility, a byproduct of parochial schools, where the underlying faith is taken seriously, but the visible church is fair game for kidding. Yep. I could not have said that better myself, where it does take faith very seriously, but the religion itself is a joke. Right, that's that's the whole thing, is people think this is making fun of God mm-hmm. and that whole theological idea. But the thing is, it's not. It's it's praising that. It's opening up discussion about that. What it's making fun of is those people who go to church on Sunday and only go to church on Sunday. Or the people who are at church every day of the week and they live by church. And it's like, but you're still a terrible human being. Yeah. Just or because- the church officials who, you know, bless their golf clubs yeah. for a better golf game. Yeah. Like, that's the people this movie's making fun of, not God and the idea of a higher being and faith. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people mis- misconstrue that. I also grabbed an Ebert quote because this is one of my favorite Ebert reviews of all time because he gets kind of personal in this review, which I think is really nice. I think when you can find something in a movie that you connect with on a personal level, that's why you might like a movie more. And it could be why it got three and a half stars because he grew up in parochial school himself. He understood this idea. Mm -hmm. And he also was like, it's cool to make fun of it. Do it. It's great. So the quote I grabbed is 
in the later half. Actually, it's the last paragraph of his review, and it is. Those who approach to religion is spiritual will have little trouble with dogma because they will understand the characters as imperfect, sincere, clumsy seekers trying to do the right thing. Those who see religion as more of a team, a club, a hobby, or a pressure group are going to be upset. This movie takes theological matters out of the hands of spokesmen and entrusts them to, well, the unwashed, and goes so far as to suggest that God loves them. It's like so perfect. So perfect. Because that's what pissed people off. Is like, you, you said it right after we watched this movie. You were like, I don't like Jay. I don't like the character of Jay. Mm-hmm. Which is fine. You're not supposed to like Jay. But did you notice at the end, God still loves Jay? God kisses Jay mm-hmm. on the cheek after shushing him and, and settles him? He's the unwashed. He's the people that church people protest against. And God is like, I love him anyway. And that pisses people off. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's a lot of what religion should be is what they show God doing in this movie. Yeah. Is God loves humans. Loves all of them. Even the ones that are sex crazed and annoying. Yeah. Every person in this movie is flawed to no end. And the whole point is it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. You are loved anyway. As long as you're not committing mortal sins, you are loved anyway. Yeah. And it's that's why people get pissed off. And like the fact that Ebert could see beyond that and understand that it's a movie who's making light of side A and not side B is amazing. It's really interesting, this movie, of how much it makes fun of and yet reveres the same thing it's making fun of. Yeah. And that's what is so interesting about this movie. So Kevin Smith is both the writer and director of this. I've already mentioned a couple movies that he did, and those were very juvenile type movies. Lots of dick jokes, fart jokes, Mm -hmm. sex jokes, things like that. And we get that in this movie as well. But this is something that you can tell was very personal to Kevin Mm -hmm. when he was writing it. He himself says he grew up Catholic. He still is Catholic. He never renounced his Catholicism. He has a a daughter, Harley Quinn, who's now an actress herself, who is Catholic. He raised her Catholic. He's not making fun of religion to be like, ha ha, I don't believe in any of this crap. He's literally has the belief in all of it and can still make fun of the stuff that shouldn't be happening. Mm -hmm. And that's what this movie is. And it's brilliant for that reason. But the problem is, he wasn't a great director at this time. And you can kind of see that in the Rotten Tomato critic score. Because critics have it at a 68%, only a 6.3 out of 10. But the audience, they they could look past that and they got it at an 85% or an 8.2 out of 10. Yeah. And that's not surprising to me at all. Those are exactly the numbers I would expect. Because the critics, like you said, they're going to look at the way the movie was made, not just the story and the humor, Mm -hmm. where the audience is like, we don't care that the camera moved funny. We don't care that this scene wasn't 100% lit correctly. We don't, we're not looking at that. We're looking at enjoyable movie. And sometimes I agree with that. Sometimes it's just enjoyable and I can forgive the flaws. It's it's a lot harder when you are a critic because you you just, you see the flaws. Oh, of course. But. You have to block them out. Yeah. 
And uh, an interesting story like this can uh, help with that. Absolutely. How many Kevin Smith movies have you seen? I've seen, I think, like three, including this one. Uh, which three? What do you, what do, which ones do you know? Chasing Amy. And You've seen Chasing Amy? I have seen Chasing Amy. Okay. Uh, and one of the Jay and Silent Bob movies. Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. Yeah. That, that, that's a good movie. It's so dumb. I was going to say, I don't remember a lot about it. And I think that's an, an issue I have with a lot of his, the, the three movies of his that I watched is I didn't remember a lot about it. Not so much this one. I did. I remembered what the general premise was for this movie. But once I'm done watching one of his movies, I kind of just forget about it. There's like jokes you remember from mm-hmm. it, like things you're like, oh yeah, brought it up in conversation with friends. You kind of reference it. But the overall movie, you're like, eh, no, no, no. Some stuff I remember, most of it I don't. I know a general idea of the plot. So, Mallrats, well, let's let's go through this. So, he made Clerks in 94, which was his first movie. He sold his comic book collection for $25,000. Used that to make Clerks. Now he's bought back all those comics tenfold. (laughs) I was going to say, probably a good investment. Yeah, absolutely. He inspired a ton of filmmakers Mm. after he made Clerks and became a hit. So he goes from that to Mallrats to Chasing Amy, two good movies, then Dogma in 99, great movies. Then he hits you with Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back in 01. It's a funny movie. I wouldn't say it's a good movie, but it's it's funny. I, I laugh when I watch it. Jersey Girl, absolute trash in 04. Clerks through Clerks 2 in 06, not very good. Uh, Zach and Mary make a porno. Not a great movie. Uh, Cop Out with Bruce Willis, one of the worst movies I've ever seen. Ooh. <laughs> it is just bad. But that was one for the studio. Oh, uh, yeah. To allow him to like keep doing what he wanted to do. Sometimes you got to one for them, then one for me. Mm-hmm. So that's what he did. Red State is uh, better than people remember. It's only a 6.1 on IMDb, but I feel like... I've never heard of it. It's better than that. Um, Tusk. Have you ever heard of Tusk? I have heard of Tusk. This is one of the weirdest fucking movies I have ever watched in my entire life. And I enjoyed every second of it. <laughs> I cannot understand. It is a bad movie by every metric. But I enjoyed it. Yeah? It's it's crazy. Then he did Yoga Hoosiers, which is just awful movie. Yoga Hosers, not Hoosiers. Hosers. I was going to say, the uh, name is familiar. Yeah, it was uh, his kid and Johnny Depp's kid starring in it. And it was awful, and they had to fight, like, a Nazi thumb. <laughs> super weird. Kevin Smith hit, hit his weird period. Yeah, super weird. Uh, Jay and Silent Bob, the reboot from 2019. You watched that one. I did? Yes, you did. I don't remember this. We watched it together. That's how I know. And then he just did Clerks 3, which I haven't had a chance to watch yet in 2022. Um, I do want to watch it. Just haven't had a chance yet. But I have literally seen, and I'm literally only counting movies, not TV shows. I've seen every movie this man has made. Wait, so Jay and Silent Bob, were they characters before this movie? Or did they they made their debut in Clerks, his very first movie. Okay. And they have appeared in every, pretty much every movie this man has made since. Other than like Zack and Mary, Cop Out, Red State, like the later half of his career. I don't remember them in Chasing Amy, but... That was the first one that I watched from there, so maybe I just wasn't paying you attention just to them. Paying attention. Yeah, they small small moments. Um, yeah, is he's had such a weird career. 
going through all those movies is like, man, there's some highs in there, mm-hmm. but there's some absolute throw it in the bin trash. I feel like those were the ones where he was trying something new, trying something different. Yeah. Or the studio forced him on True. to do something like, True. you know, he's just a weird director, weird director. But when he is on his game, he's on his game and there's nobody when he is on, there's nobody better than him doing the type of stuff that he does. Mm-hmm. And this movie is a good example of it. Oh yeah. There's not a lot of other directors out there who are willing to take the risk of making fun of deities and piety and turning it on its head like this. Yeah. Making the most sincere comedy about religion. Yeah. Sometimes I feel like that's the best comedy though. When you have personal attachment and like you have an actual love for the subject matter, but you can also find the humor in it. Best comedies. So dogma. I love the opening text. Oh, the opening text is the best. That was my first note. It's so good. It immediately gets you into this whole thing where it's like, don't take us fully seriously, but don't count us out either. It's just when he makes fun of the platypus. Yeah. And then he has to have a retraction to that and being like, I'm sorry if I offended anybody, any platypus lovers out there. They are noble creatures, even though they're stupid. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's like, I, I have reverence for this creature. That is also stupid. Yeah. It's, it sets you up. You know exactly what movie you're getting into mm-hmm. just reading this opening text. And it's like five pages of opening text. And that have care. very little to do with the actual plot that we're about to see. Yep. And I don't care. I am so into it. Yeah. Um, in fact, this movie starts like three different times. And I love every single one because right after the text, we go to the opening with Cardinal Glick, played by the late, great George Carlin. No. We go to um, the guy at the beach. That doesn't count. Oh, okay. That's like a five second scene. I I, I ignore that. Fair enough. Because um, yes, that it's semi-important, but we don't know it's important until later. So we go to Cardinal Glick, played by the late, great George Carlin. And he is the complete opposite of what you would expect a Cardinal to be. Everything about the way he moves, the way he speaks, the way he acts. You're just like, this is a man of religion. He feels very televangelist. Yeah. Very fake. Everything about him is so fake. But I absolutely love, uh, what is it? Buddy, buddy Jesus. Buddy Christ. Buddy Christ. We're unveiling a new thing. Buddy Christ. And it's just him pointing and like giving a thumbs up. He's winking. He's doing the finger guns. Finger guns, but with the thumbs up too. Yeah. It's like, cause you know, seeing him on the crucifix, that's kind of a downer. We don't <laughs> want to be a downer anymore. Let's just be super cool. Yep. And because we're, we're debuting Buddy Christ, we're going to reopen this church that he's in front of. And we're going to have a whole ceremony where anybody who comes into this church, the minute you cross the threshold, all your sins have been forgiven mm-hmm. and you get to start fresh. Great setup. Great setup. We we are into this. Between the text and Cardinal Glick, I'm 100% convinced I'm addicted to this movie already. Well, yeah, because it's already making fun of religion. <laughs> and the fact that it's like, Buddy Christ is ridiculous. Oh, yeah. Then we cut to the airport. Mm-hmm. And we meet Loki and Bartleby. Played by... Matt Damon and Ben Affleck. Best friends in real life who get to be best friends in this movie. 
I I love Loki in this moment too, convincing a nun to <laughs> give up the church. He makes a really good point though. He does because that idea that he has about the walrus and the carpenter is like a real theory about why this story was written. It's not something he came up with. It was like a thing. Maybe it was a thing after this movie. I, you know, I was 13 when this movie came out. I wasn't really paying attention to the walrus and carpenter theories prior <laughs> to this movie. Maybe it became one after, but like, I remember it being talked about that. Maybe there was some weird theological the- something going on in that story. Mm-hmm. And when he explains it, it makes perfect sense. It makes so much sense. The walrus is Ganesh. The carpenter is clearly Jesus. And then they force these people to follow them. And, and then, then they, they eat them. Eat them. They massacre them. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what religion's all about. If you don't follow us, massacre. But it is so funny, too, because he's like, it bent, uh, Bartleby literally is like, you know God is real. And, <laughs> and yet you're convincing, you know, the clergy yeah. that they're not. Yeah. You and Loki's know. just like, yeah, I like fucking with. The clergy. Yeah. I've had, you've had conversations. You have spoken to God. I know, but it's funny. <laughs> and it, it's a great introduction to those two characters in that moment where you have Loki being kind of like the trickster God. Yeah. Of Norse mythology. And Bartleby just being like, really? All right, whatever. Well, they're, <laughs> they're upset angels. They got kicked out of heaven years ago. Yeah. And they're never going to be allowed back in. Except, and here's where we find out, here's where the movie gets rolling for for real. They get a letter in the mail that talks about this church opening and how the sins will be forgiven. So they got kicked out of heaven because Loki was the angel of death for God who quit after a night of drinking with Bartleby. Bartleby convinced him to stop doing God's bidding and killing people. And he quit. And God was like, you're banished to Wisconsin. The worst place I can think of, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) and so now if they go cross this threshold they're gonna get forgiven Mm -hmm. and then if they become human by cutting off their wings and die they will go to heaven but if they do that all of existence will be unmade because god will prove will be proven false we don't know that yet but yes well yeah but that's the idea yeah yeah. they don't realize this it like what? That it's convoluted concept, but it, it makes sense. And I, God is God is um, infallible. Yeah, he, can, he cannot. She cannot be proven wrong. Mm-hmm. God is never wrong. So if they get into heaven after being kicked out, holy sh! Yeah, it's so funny. It's so funny. It's a it's a great uh, plot point. Like a a great starting point. Mm-hmm. This is their journey. That this is a great plan because you kind of like these characters too. So you're yeah. like, yeah, go home, do it. I'm behind you because I love it. Because their whole thing is we can go home. Like they're so excited to go home. Yeah, they're not trying to cause problems. They just want to go home. Yeah, it's it's amazing. Then we meet Bethany, played by Linda Fiorentino. Mm-hmm. And she is a divorcee who works at an abortion clinic and is losing her faith. Starting to question if God is real. Yeah. Well, she says she lost her faith, but she still goes to church for reasons. You know? Yeah. But she hasn't quite... 
she says she lost it, but like a lot of what she does is like she still has it. Mm-hmm. She's it's hanging by a thread though. It's ready to go. Yeah. And we find out through her conversation with the Metatron, who is played by Alan Rickman. The Metatron is the voice of God. Anytime you hear God speak, it's actually Metatron, because if God actually spoke to you, you would die. I love it. I love it. I absolutely love Alan Rickman in this role, too. I think this is almost like, for me, one of his best performances, because he gets to be that like sardonic person of like, oh, I, I don't want to be doing this anymore. And I like this performance better than Snape for me, because he gets to be funny in this. He is really funny. Without being funny. Yeah, no. Just his reactions and his tone that he takes with, like, everything is just so funny without being funny. It's the best. Yeah. It's the best. So he he talks to Bethany and tells her everything that's going on. Tells her she's been chosen to stop these angels from getting into this church. Why? Because she's the last scion. And the first time I watched this movie, I was like, what the f- is a scion. I did not know either. And even re-watching it, I forgot. Yeah. And they explain it in the movie, but it's, it's very quick dialogue. It's very snappy, quick dialogue. So you can miss stuff when watching it. So the first couple of times I was like, I still don't really know what a scion is. A scion is a blood relative of Christ, but she's not going to be alone. She's going to get help from two prophets. One who talks too much and one who doesn't talk at all. And that's Jay and Silent Bob who we know from other movies, played by Jason Mewes and the director himself, Kevin Smith. I love Silent Bob. He's so powerful. In the like expressions he makes, you understand how everyone around him can understand him. Oh, he's very expressive. Which is incredible, knowing that that's the director. Okay, I'm going to give you 30 seconds right now to explain to everybody why you hate the character Jay. Ready? Are you ready? Uh-huh. Okay. Go. So for me, a lot of it is just how unbearably annoying he is. I get that he's supposed to just talk constantly, but the fact that it's all about sex, all about getting in her pants, and it just doesn't stop. And that is so annoying to me. It's so cringy, too. Why? Why do you have to constantly be trying to get in people's pants? Especially when you're told no. Like, so many times. So bad. Okay, that's time. Um, that's the whole point, though. The character is not likable. He's not meant to be likable. And Jason Mewes crushes it. Because oh, he he's does. not likable. He, he 100% crushes it. The acting is spot on. I just can't stand that character. Which makes sense. But there are a lot of people out there who connect with that character. Sure. And love that character. I'm 50-50. I think the character is really funny sometimes. And really, like, involved. And I understand him. And then there's other times where I'm like, go away. I like most of the time he's there until he's like, let's have sex. Oh, you're not going to have sex with us? How come you're not going to have sex with us? Like every moment that he's talking about sex, I don't care for him. But every other time I I get it because I like the delayed reaction on the holy bartender joke. Great. I love the scene where... After the car breaks down and she's like, I'm done with you guys. You breaking up with this? Who the hell do you think you are, lady? 
You can't just go around breaking people's hearts like that. I fell in love with you. We fell in love with you. Guys, I guess just don't fall the fucking sky, you know? And it's like they've known each other for like six hours. Yeah. And yet they make him also likable because the f we're introduced to them after she's attacked by the three hooligans on the 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 rollerblades. Yeah, the the and demons. She talks about them being at, you know, protesters. There he's like, "No. I I'm not a protester. Women's we're, bodies are their choice, you yeah, know." Yeah, we're pro-choice. You mean those dickheads with the signs and pictures of dead babies? Shit, no. Me and Sal Bob are pro-choice. Women's bodies are own fucking business. And it's, oh, that's a wonderful thing to say, especially in 1999. Especially from a character like that, who's yeah. all about the sex and all about just trying to use women for sex. So for him to be so body positive for the women, like, that's the thing. He draws you in to like him, and then he says some cringy shit, and you're like, I'm out. But then he draws you back in, mm -hmm. and then you're out. And I think that's the whole point, though is he's a great juxtaposition against Silent Bob. Who is just lovable 100% of the time. And when he speaks, it's really powerful. He's always got like the right thing to say in the right moment. He's always, when Bethany dies at the end, he is like really sad about it. He's oh my like God, crying. his cry face yeah. is so good. And so putting those two together was like a stroke of genius. Because you got the idiot who won't shut up, who you're kind of annoyed by. And then you have the lovable tubby man that you're just like drawn into. My hetero life partner. My hetero life mate. Life mate. Oh, I thought it was Not partner. partner. Life mate. Mm. My hetero life mate. Great. Everybody should have a hetero, hetero life mate. Mm -hmm. uh, amazing. So she meets them and she's like, gosh, I got to hang out with these guys. <laughs> this sucks. <laughs> but they got to go because they're going from Chicago or McHenry, Illinois to New Jersey where the church is. And mind, so, mind you, one part that I actually really enjoy about this movie is that she's not 100% in on this quest. Oh, she, she thinks it's it. ridiculous for most of it. And it's a great thing. It's like we're seeing the religion and everything through this person's eyes who's questioning everything that's going on. I mean, she literally is hating this mission and not really into it until they get to the church and confront the angels. Mm -hmm. She's still like all right, I'm not 100% into this until, like, there's no way she can't believe it. Yeah. It's amazing. But as they're they're hanging out and they're going, she was told she'll meet two prophets, but she's going to get a little extra help because she's going to get help from the 13th apostle. Rufus. Rufus, played by the always wonderful and lovable Chris Rock. And this man is just so funny all the time. This role, perfect. Not only that, but this character adds a wonderful aspect to this movie of, yeah, no religion has quite gotten it right because I was there and I'm not in any of those texts. And Jesus was black. <laughs> black man can be your savior, but... <laughs> black man can steal your radio, but he can't be your savior. Yeah. Yeah, it's... He adds that, like you said, this dynamic, this level that I wasn't expecting from this movie. Mm-hmm. Where you're like, okay, they got to go stop some angels. You got the quote unquote prophets who are, but then Rufus comes in and changes everything. He it adds credibility real. to it. Yeah. It becomes so real in this moment and it's great. And he is where you get a lot of the more theological discussion about religion and, you know, what it, what, what it was supposed to be 
versus what it turned into. And, and so then, I love this character. Oh, we're going to get more into some of the stuff he says later in the pod when we go over quotes because mm-hmm. they're really so good. good. So they're all in. And the reason Rufus is joining them is he was never talked about in the Bible and he wants things to change. He wants his, his story to be told. Mm-hmm. He also hung out with Christ, but because he was black, nobody wrote about him. So he's just trying to get justice. So as they're going along, they come across the muse. Serendipity. Serendipity, played by Salma Hayek. She came to Earth after helping create thousands of great pieces of art in some way. She's responsible for 19 of the 20 highest grossing movies of all time. Mm -hmm. What movie was she not responsible for? Home Alone. Because somebody sold their soul to the devil to get the profits up on that movie. Yeah. And so she came to Earth and was like, I'm so sick of giving other people ideas. I'm going to go do my own thing. I want to get some royalties. (laughs) And she came down, writer's block. She can't think of crap. So she became a stripper. Yeah, might might as well still give people ideas. (laughs) (laughs) And so they meet her and she doesn't really add much. She kind of like shows up, has like one or two good quotes, and then she disappears for 30 minutes. Honestly... She's just more of like a plot convenience than anything else. Just like, we needed an extra little uh, spot here. Yeah. Kevin Smith was like, you know what? Muses are kind of interesting. I'll I'll shoehorn her in here somewhere. I'll figure out how to put a muse into this. Mm-hmm. She's just weird. And the entire time they're on this journey, they're being watched by a demon. Azrael. The name of my dog. Mm-hmm. Not named after this one, though. Funny. Funny. Because Asriel, played by Jason Lee in this movie, who's great in this role, um, Asriel is normally the angel of death, who is Loki in this movie. Mm-hmm. And Loki, in normal mythology, Norse mythology, is a trickster god. Asriel in this movie is a very trickster demon. Yeah. Who's manipulating people and doing things and making people fight. He's he's quite a trickster. It's just so interesting that they flipped. Yeah. Just something I noticed. And as a demon, he's wearing all white. Mm-hmm. And a because, lot of the angels are wearing very dark colors. Because he's not a true demon. He didn't fight in the Great War. He chose to sit on the sidelines. But because he didn't participate, he was punished as well. Mm-hmm. So he's not like a true demon. He's more just somebody who got caught in a crossfire and got punished. Yeah. And now he'd rather unmake existence than live in hell a second longer. So he's the one who set Loki and Bartleby on their path to get to this church because he's ready to end it all. Clever. Absolutely. I mean, if hell is as bad as religion makes it seem, why would you want to live there if you don't have to? Mm Mm-hmm. Would you rather live in an empty void? Yeah, probably. At least you're not being tortured all the time. Fair. But Jason Lee's great as Azrael. He has this like weird slimy nature to him. But just like Jay, you kind of like him. He is more intriguing than Jay to me. Because he he's conniving. And that's interesting to watch. Jay just kind of is. Sure. But like I'm saying, we, we talked about earlier with Jay. There was like... He pushes you away, but then kind of like draws you back in by mm. certain things he does. Same thing with Azrael here. You don't, you're not supposed to like him. He's a demon who's trying to unmake existence. 
but you're just kind of on his side a little bit. Yeah, but it's around this time that he sends the, what, the shit demon after them? <laughs> yeah, the shit demon. I love the shit demon. It's so blah. This is, this is peak Kevin Smith. This is what he does in the movies before this. When I say he has, like, childish-type humor, mm-hmm. this is the epitome of it right here in this movie. I absolutely love how they defeat the shit demon. I love the visual look of the shit demon. He is He gross. looks amazing. Yeah. He definitely looks it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I, everybody's acting is really good, too, because I, I can smell him through the TV. <laughs> but they defeat him by, you know, Silent Bob having a spray can on him that, you know, knocks out hard odors or whatever. It, that's yeah. what it says on it. And he sprays him in the face and it knocks, knocks him, him out. out. Clever, dumb jokes. Especially because Serendipity is literally making a Molotov cocktail. <laughs> yeah, to try to burn him. It's insane. <laughs> so after they meet the muse, she disappears. They keep going on their journey. What's their next step? They have to take a train to get to Jersey. While they're on the train, they meet Bartleby and Loki. But they don't know each other until Bethany gets trashed on liquor that they got from somewhere. Yeah, some trains have liquor. This looked like a subway train. It was a bar. Co- they had a, a a food cart. That that's why they kept. There was an announcement going. I know, just weird. I I've been on a subway a lot. This train looked like a subway. It didn't. No, it's a, it's a several state train. It's probably gonna have food. I know, but it drinks. didn't look like that kind of train. Uh, fair it enough. Look like a subway. <laughs> so it just threw me off. But she gets absolutely trashed. She tells Bartleby what there's what she's there to do. Mm-hmm. And he's like, "Osh, oh, all right, we got to kill her. But this was great acting on the part of Ben Affleck. Yeah. Because we're watching him as she's spilling the beans and he's, his face goes from like amused to like anger. He's yeah. pissed. And it hits like several different emotions in between. Yeah. He's wonderful in this scene. And this is where everything kind of comes to a head. The angels now know they're trying to get... The last Scion is trying to stop them. And the last Scion and that whole gang now know who the angels are. Mm-hmm. So like, you know your enemy. How do you stop them now? And this is the moment we see Loki and Bartleby completely change. So leading up to this, every time we cut back to them, Loki is more of like the, let's get home. But before doing that, we need to be God's killers again he wants to judge people he wants to kill people he wants to invoke god's wrath upon people Mm -hmm. he's a very violent aggressive person he does it in a funny way damon's really good at being violent and aggressive but making it humorous yeah kind of like a all over crazy because he's like in control and at the same time he's doing violent things and taking pleasure in it and, and it's very a interesting. out of control. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's great in this movie. So good. He's so good. But Bartleby seems to be the more in control, the more relaxed one, the more that just seems to be like, I just want to get home. along with it. And just, I want to get home. After the train scene, everything changes. Mm-hmm. And now all of a sudden, Bartleby is the very aggressive one. The very over the top, the let's kill people and let's get home. And Loki seems to be more of like, 
I don't know, man. Can we just like chill? Can we just like calm down? I, a little? I mean, I want to get home too, but they said something about unmaking existence. Yeah. So maybe we shouldn't. Yeah. So there was a scene that we didn't talk about yet. And we'll talk about it now since we're talking about the angels, the boardroom scene at movies. Mm-hmm. Okay. So movie in this movie is basically like McDonald's crossed with Disney. Yeah. They have a golden calf, which we know is wrong, <laughs> as their mascot. And they have fast food places, theme parks, movies, cartoons, books, all this stuff. And because Loki wants to invoke wrath upon people, he decides to go to movies headquarters and lay judgment upon them all. This is a great scene. It showcases both angels in this moment because Bartleby is there to kind of read out their sins because he can watch people. He sees what they've been doing. He sees people's pasts. He knows the person. And he knows their secrets. Loki is there to be the the executioner. Yep. And they are wonderful. Like, this is one part about this movie that I absolutely love too, is they're very believable as these angels because they have this almost otherworldliness to them where they like, we're in on the joke of existence. We're just going to go for it. I love it. Oh, it's they're great. And Ben Affleck and Matt Damon acting together is magic. But this boardroom scene is great. Ben Affleck goes around and does this whole speech about the movie's history. And then he points at every single person in that boardroom and calls out their sins. One guy got his girlfriend drunk at the office Christmas party paid a mailroom kid to have sex with her while she was passed out so that he could break up with her conscious free in the morning when she sobbingly confessed to all of it. Another guy disowned his son for being gay. Mm -hmm. Like these are sins. These yeah. are bad people. Another guy flew all the way to Mexico to have sex with an 11 year old boy. What? And this is kind of my theory of one of the reasons why it's not being shown anymore is, yeah, it's a little too close to home, huh? Hey, Weinstein, uh, you probably should have been in that boardroom, sir. Yeah, you would not want Bartleby near you. No. And it's great. So he reads all their sins. The CEO, he has to whisper his sin because it's just too bad. It's yeah. so bad he can't even say it out loud. And then Loki just kills them all takes his gun out and just shoots every single one of them except for one i appreciate because he's like you're a total innocent to yeah. that one to the woman the one woman in the boardroom is sweet and innocent she's she hasn't committed any major sins mm -hmm. so she's spared except for the fact that she didn't say god bless you when loki sneezed <laughs> and loki tries to kill her and bartleby calls him off he at least gave her some gum first he did it's a funny scene but also a very poignant scene at the same time. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what works well. And they do that a lot in this movie. And it adds to the idea that comes a little while later, or I can't remember if it was before or later, that God is funny. And so are the angels. Oh, yeah. Because they they take all this. They, they're doing serious stuff, but they do it in kind of a comedic way. Oh, yeah. So back fast forwarding back into the movie where we were at. So after the train scene... Bethany and the gang try to talk to Cardinal Glick to get him to stop the ceremony. He refuses. The angels show up to the church. 
Asriel has Bethany and them locked into a bar. Mm-hmm. And Ex- expositing ex- almost to his entire almost, but not everything. And then not a where years, God is. And then a couple years later, he does the same things, same thing in the Incredibles, because he's oh. the voice of uh, Syndrome. Syndrome, and he talks about <laughs> how uh-uh, I'm not telling you my whole plan. A couple years after this, which Smart. is really funny. Yeah, he's so good at that. You caught me monologuing. Yeah. yeah. So, but they beat him because they bash him in. With a golf club that they stole from Cardinal Glick. And this is what you referenced earlier. Why does it hurt him? Because it's he blessed it so that he'd have a better golf game. Because he's that big of a prick. Mm-hmm. Again, making fun of the Cardinal. George Carlin, perfect casting for the Cardinal. Because he just gives off that aura of you would totally do this. Yeah. And I love it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely love it. So now they gotta go confront these angels at the church. This is... This is where the movie gets real serious real quick. Mm-hmm. Loki's completely drunk because he ripped off his wings. So he's human now and he can get drunk. And Bartleby is flying around just dropping people from the air th- hundreds of feet and watching them splatter on the ground. He's gone insane. It's half having fun, but it is also half part of his plan because... He says, we're going to walk through those arches, and when we come out, that'll be around the time when the police come, and they'll just open fire. And then we die, and we go to heaven. Because they can't kill themselves, because that's a cardinal sin. It's just such a weird thing. Ben Affleck, though, is great in this. He's very terrifying. Yeah. In a really good way. And Loki is almost sympathetic in this moment, too, where it's just like, he just wants to go home, man. He's not even enjoying this bloodlust. And he's the... Angel of death. He should enjoy this. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't. And this is when Bethany finally does something in this movie that actually freaking matters. Because she figures out that the guy who got beat up at the pier earlier is probably God. Trapped. So they run to the hospital, which lucky for them is like right up the street. She sets God free. Bartleby kills Loki. Yeah, in this straight up murders him. Loki's not going home now. Because he hasn't walked through the door. You know, he's going to hell. Yeah. Crazy. And as he goes to open the doors, God appears with the Metatron. We get Alan Rickman back. Oh, yeah. And who's God? Alanis Morissette, the singer. Mm-hmm. She's great as God. Oh, she plays this wonderful, just childlike behavior that I absolutely adore. Showing God is not this, like, very serious and omnipotent being who's... Well, is. Is, is omnip- omnipotent, but yes. not that holier-than-thou sitting on a throne looking down his nose at everybody. Mm-hmm. Fun-loving. Yeah. Plays skee-ball. Boots people's noses. Yeah. But also is uh, compassionate because she doesn't like seeing the, the devastation that happened. But not only compassionate because she cleans up the street from everything that Bartleby did, but takes pity on Bartleby and puts him out of his misery. And that's going to come back in question. So we're going to hold on to that. So God comes out, fixes everything. But when Bethany freed God, she died. Mm -hmm. She took a mortal wound to the gut. She's dead. God brings her back to life, cleans up the streets. Everybody's happy. Happy ending. The Muse and Rufus get to go back to heaven with Metatron and God. And Bethany is now pregnant 
even though she was sterile. But now she is with child, so she is no longer the last scion. And that's it. That's where the movie ends. Yeah. So much happens in this movie. Like, this should probably be a three-hour podcast for this uh, for this movie. Because mm-hmm. there's so much to talk about. This movie is so quotable. In good, in, like, comic ways mm-hmm. and in actual, like, discussion ways. Yeah. Let's go into research. So, Alan Rickman is, like, the strangest casting choice in this movie. Like, it's Alan... Stranger than Alanis Morissette? It's Alan Rickman. This dude is one of the greatest working actors at the time. He is revered as this stage actor, Shakespearean type actor. And you get him in Dogma? It's a weird casting. But apparently, he was a huge Chasing Amy fan. Mm. Loved Chasing Amy. So when Kevin Smith found out, he reached out to kind of pitch him on the movie... And Alan Rickman agreed by only asking two questions. And once he got the answers, he was all in. The two questions, will you stay faithful to the script? The second one, are the wings real or CGI? Kevin Smith said the wings are real. Alan Rickman said, I'm on board. Let's go. Amazing. That's it. That was his two questions. That's right. CGI wings would not have looked good. No, but Alan Rickman, legend. Uh, Jason Mewes, because Alan Rickman joined the cast... Jason Mewes usually winged it. He would memorize some of the words, make up some words, blah, 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 in the other movies. Mm -hmm. He memorized the entire script. He knew everybody's lines for this movie. And when asked why he worked so hard on this one compared to the other movies, he didn't want to anger Alan Rickman. I mean, who does? (laughs) Yeah. That's just great, though. What a presence. You don't anger Snape nor the Metatron. Or Hans Gruber. Yeah. Yeah, no, no. Uh... According to Kevin Smith, uh, Linda Fiorentino was very hard to work with. She was just a giant bitch. I mean, and, she has resting, resting bitch face. And so. he regrets casting her and wished he would have casted any of the other people that he thought of casting. And we'll get to that in the casting what ifs. Um, there were eight different versions of the script. And not in, a, in any of them, not in a single one, not in any of those eight versions, including the shooting script. Was there the scene where God cleans up the whole mess? It didn't come to Kevin Smith until the day of when the church they were filming in front of and using asked him, hey, you're going to make sure all of this is cleaned up, right? And he said, yeah, absolutely. And it hit him right then and there. Have God clean it up. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's a wonderful moment. Like I said, it adds that level of compassion to the character of God. Yeah, I love that moment. Um, the boardroom scene that we talked about was going to be a big action scene. That's why all of the CE or all of the board members are men because then they could easily be swapped out for action people, mm-hmm. stunt men in the moment. It was going to be all John Woo style, bunch of big moments. And Kevin Smith just scrapped it last second and decided to just film the door and have all the action happen behind the camera. It's actually funnier that way. It's so good. I love Loki just walking around screaming, don't run. Don't run! But I do believe in this. Don't run! Don't run! Fix! Fix! All of you! Fix! Oh, and you! That's great. Great. I love it, too, because you see quite like the, the action uh, at the end of the movie as well. Yeah. A lot of it is off screen. Yeah, when our heroes show up, pretty much all the action's done already. Mm-hmm. And because it wasn't adds, necessary. No, it wasn't. Did you notice that all the angels are dressed exactly the same? Mm. 
Every single one. Dark pants, uh, black overcoat with a hoodie and a white or... Uh, I can't tell if it's white or gray. The shirt underneath. All three angels we see, the Metatron, Loki, and Bartleby, are dressed exactly the same. I think they sometimes have various like colors as their t-shirt. The color mm-hmm. is the hoodies they're wearing. Each one wears a different colored hoodie. Everything else about their wardrobe is exactly the same. Oh. That's the way the angels dress, but then they each get their own individual color. I still love it that the angels wear dark colors and the demon wears light colors. All white, yeah. Uh, the colors, I don't I don't know. I don't know what that represents, but the hoodies, the hood mm-hmm. is always laid out in an arc around their neck representing their halo that they can't have on earth. A lot of thought went into some of this stuff. Yeah, a lot of thought that probably most people don't notice. Yep. Robert Rodriguez was approached to direct, was given the script by Kevin Smith that he was going to direct it, read the script, went, this is way too personal of a story, and convinced Kevin Smith to direct it himself. Nice. George Carlin, as the Cardinal, was wearing a wedding band the entire time. Uh, Cardinals aren't allowed to get married, so Mm -hmm. he shouldn't have had a wedding band. But in real life, Carlin's wife had passed away just a few months before the movie was being filmed. And he wasn't ready to take it off yet. So Kevin Smith allowed him to wear it and they just put a, a band-aid around it. So if you ever look at Glick's hand, there's a band-aid around his ring finger to hide his actual wedding ring. Muse, Jason Muse. Here's the craziest thing. So not only did he memorize the whole script, he was battling. He was at the height of his drug addiction, battling his drug addiction while making this movie. And if you pay attention in some wide shots, he's actually just nodding off. He's literally sleeping in scenes because his drug addiction was so bad. Wow. And I'm like, so you went and memorized the whole script so you wouldn't piss off Alan Rickman and then you just fell asleep on set? Especially in the bar at the end with Asriel when he's Mm -hmm. got them all trapped. When Asriel's talking and it shows the whole gang, just watch Muse. He's literally got his head down sleeping. I think doesn't uh, Silent Bob like wake him up at one point? At one point, yeah. It it kind of adds to the character a little bit, but it's just crazy to think. It's good that like after years of drug addiction, Muse is clean now. Yeah. Like it got real bad for him, but he's clean. So it's all good. Mm -hmm. Casting what ifs. Here's a couple for you. Bethany, Joey Lauren Adams, who uh, was the lead in Chasing Amy. Oh, yeah. Janine Garofalo, who played Liz. Oh, the 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 abortion clinic friend. Yeah, I don't know much about her, so... She would have been perfect. Fair. She was the original choice, but she couldn't commit to it. Um, And then also Jillian Anderson, who you don't know, so it doesn't matter. Cardinal Glick was going to be Albert Brooks. He does a lot of Simpson voices. Oh, okay. You, you know, if you saw him, you know him. Yeah. Uh, Asriel, originally before Jason Lee, who Jason Lee was supposed to be Loki. Hmm. But he had scheduling conflicts, so he took the lesser role of Asriel that wasn't in the movie as much. Great choices. Yeah. Great choice. He was perfect as Asriel, and Damon was perfect as Loki. Yes. But Asriel originally was going to be Bill Murray. Ooh. John Travolta. Ooh. Or Adam Sandler. Adam Sandler was actually offered the role, but declined it because he was making Big Daddy mm. his movie, which is a really good movie as well. So smart choices all around. Yeah, everybody kind of, it all went where it was supposed to. Rufus, two other people before Chris Rock was asked. Samuel L. Jackson. Ooh. That's a very different movie. Very. And Will Smith. Still very different He's movie. not as funny. 
No. I don't think it works as well. It's not as self-deprecating. No. Like, I, I feel like he can't quite go there. Exactly. And the last one, God. Um, Alanis Morissette wasn't going to do it because she was on her tour. Mm-hmm. You know, she's a, she's a multi-platinum artist at the time. But she found a way. But originally it was going to be Emma Thompson. Okay. Or Holly Hunter, who was big in the 80s and 90s. I think it worked out for Alanis Morissette. She has a very interesting look to her, which just added this element to God that I wasn't expecting. Yeah. Let's go into questions. Sure. Would you watch a miniseries of Loki and Bartleby's adventures? 100%. Like it has to be those actors though. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Um, Whose side are you on? The Angels or The Last Scion? I mean, The Last Scion simply because, you know, existence. Um, But it's not proven. Yeah. She's told that's what will happen. We're not 100% sure that's what will happen. Yeah. You're, I, I don't know. And they just want to go home. Yeah, no, I, I like understand Like, the whole that. point is, like, they'll give up being angels just to go home. Mm-hmm. I don't know, man. I'm, I'm toss-up. Would you accept the movie if the ending was God accepting Loki and Bartleby back into heaven? I honestly, the first time I ever watched this movie, I thought she was going to. I thought the idea of her blowing up Bartleby's head with her voice was accepting him back in. The way he says thank you just for some reason makes me think maybe they were. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because when she initially goes to clean up the thing, it looks like she's walking towards Loki. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, she's going to accept him back in because he didn't actually want to do half the stuff that he ended up doing. Yeah. So I kind of wish that that was the ending. Like, I, I feel so bad that it wasn't. Yeah, absolutely. What would it take for you to go on this crazy adventure? Like, what would convince you that this was a thing? Metatron showing up in my room in a ball of fire and then snapping his fingers and I'm in a Mexican restaurant drinking, still in my PJs. And then I wake up with the maracas he was holding in my bed. 100%. Yeah, I'm on board. From like minute and one. I was going to say, the the maracas are the thing? Because otherwise that's just a crazy dream. Obviously the maracas show that it's real but also like the fire extinguisher was right there as well that she used to put him out she didn't go put it away so if the fire extinguisher was also in the middle of the room used Mm -hmm. the maracas weren't were like the capper but there was other things 100 the minute i talk to him i'm 100 percent in all right that's fair you i would definitely still be questioning it i'd I'd be with her i'd be like that's just not no (laughs) Nah, you don't have enough faith man (laughs) (laughs) all right so i i got some big ones here okay some some thought ones Mm. so at the end bethany's pregnant right Mm -hmm. so what comes of the new last scion because uh metatron says take care of that parcel for us she has a world of work ahead of her what the hell does he mean what comes of this 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 baby Ah, you know, I honestly want to say that new baby could be the next Christ. Cause well, it's there can like, never be another Christ. Christ is Christ. I know, but like... The cause, the daughter of God. So we had the son of God. Yeah. You're thinking this is going to be the daughter of God. Yeah. Okay. Because literally it was God implanting yeah. the seed. Okay. So. so if that's the case, then does the new last scion or the daughter of God bring about the new, new Testament? Do we get a third Testament? I could see it. And like world changes. 
I can see it. Where we add in Rufus. <laughs> yep, perfect. Um, well, that's my next question. Do, does Rufus get the Bible changed? Yeah. You think so? You think he wins? I, I think he, they at least try. But you can't, but see, that's the thing. You can't just try because the minute you start implanting that idea and somebody writes it, all hell's going to break loose yeah. in religion. So like you either got to be all in or all out. I think they're all in for this one. I mean, he, he definitely tried to save the world. I mean, yeah, he okay. did. He, he helped. Mm-hmm. Okay. Here's a really crazy theory that I read and I need to know your opinion. Did Lucifer actually know about this loophole with the church and he's the one who sent jay and silent bob Ooh, that's interesting why i don't know why the metatron would still know that they were coming well because he's an angel he watches nothing but the living all day long like he like he was told um but yeah for them to suddenly get the idea to go to illinois because illinois because okay so here's how here's how they get there here's how this theory gets there so the muse states she's responsible for 19 out of top 20 movies what's the one home alone who was that produced by john hughes it was written and produced by john hughes he sold his soul to the devil to get the gross up on that why did jay and silent bob come to illinois from new jersey because they were watching John Hughes' movies. They got the idea to go to Shermer, Illinois, where the women are loose, and they can sell drugs and be rich. Mm-hmm. That's why they come. Because of John Hughes' movies. John Hughes sold his soul to the devil. These don't seem like your typical prophets that you would expect. And throughout the entire movie, they're the, well, Jay is anyway, committing sin. Mm-hmm multiple things so it's they go to the strip club for lust they steal cardinal glick's club which is coveting thy neighbor's things or greed envy whatever you want to call it yeah they steal stuff they beat the out of those kids yes it's to protect bethany in the beginning when they first show up but they beat the crap out of these kids one they appear out of nowhere yeah question two to add to your theory was Jay so sex crazed with Bethany trying to make the Antichrist? No, I don't. I don't think. I don't think they were demons. I think Lucifer just sent them. Well, yeah, but if you like ordained this one guy, yeah, I don't to know. Try and make the Antichrist. You know, I don't know. It's just it's weird. Yeah, how do they just show up? And the way Metatron tells her that she's going to get help from two prophets. He's not happy about it. So then you could take it even further and was like, was Lucifer helping God? Yeah, he doesn't want to. He doesn't want the universe to be blipped out of existence. So why wouldn't he have sent somebody to help? True. So he sent Jay and Silent Bob, not God. Mm, And that's why God boops at the end and kisses (laughs) Jay. She knows. Yeah. She knows. That's a good theory. It is a good theory. That's a like damn it. good theory. I like it. All right. Uh, was God really in a coma or was this just a test for the last scion? Uh, I think it was actually in a coma. You think God just is like, I'm in a coma. I can't do anything. Well, they say multiple times that he, they're vulnerable It when human. I don't care. I don't care what they say. Is God. Yeah. 
As soon as he's taken off the life support, God knew, he comes uh, out. God is all knowing. God knew what was going to happen. Hmm. This is a test. This is all a setup. God could have stopped it at any time. That's fair. That's why she takes pity on Loki and Bartleby at the end. Mm. She knew. She knew it was all coming. Um, so how does Bethany explain her immaculate conception? Just says I had a hookup. Does she? Or does she tell people it was an immaculate conception? She and does not tell people that it was an immaculate is, conception. Is it an immaculate conception? Considering she had known the touch of a man prior. So technically it's not immaculate. I mean, because it's still immaculate was, because there was no father. No, no, no. Immaculate. It's called the immaculate conception because Mary was with child without ever knowing the touch of a man. She was pure. That's why it's the immaculate conception. Mm. This technically wouldn't be immaculate because she had known the touch of a man. I just don't know how she explains this to people. But there is no father, so. Understood. But I don't. It, but so it's a conception. It's a miracle conception or whatever, but it's not immaculate. Mm-hmm. I just don't know how she explains this. Yeah, she just. Says, oh, I had a one-night stand, got pregnant, don't so know the guy. She's gonna out herself as a whore? Sure, why not? So she's, okay. She works in an abortion clinic. I don't think they really care. It's just so weird. Like, how do you how do you do this? Yeah. Okay. Uh, so after all this, after the events of this movie, does God stop playing skee-ball? No. God is like, ah, screw it. That was a one-time thing. I'm just gonna go play with more skee-ball? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, go for it. Do the things you love. All right, uh, what piece of memorabilia would you want from this movie? I want the wings. Yeah. I want the wings. It's only, uh, okay, so the wings, but it's got to come with the body armor too. Not just the wings. It's got to come with the chest plate that Barbie's ah, wearing. I just want the wings. No, it's got to be like all the same. I'm sure the, the wings bo- are actually, The body plate looks so bad. Okay. It looks so fake. I bet the wings are connected to it, so you've got to have it anyway. Yeah, but if you get Metatron's wings, they aren't attached. Okay, so I'm going to go real weird here. Okay. Okay, real weird. Mm-hmm. I want Metatron's Ken doll accessory. <laughs> so the whole point is that the angels don't have genitalia. Yeah. And he proves it by unzipping his pants and he's like, I'm as smooth down there as a Ken doll. Mm-hmm. I want that apply. I want that uh, mold. I want that. Oh my God. It's so funny. <laughs> it's one of the best jokes in the whole movie. Uh, Especially so when the muse, we find out the muse doesn't have genitalia either. Yeah. And she's flashing Bethany to prove it. I love Jay's like, hey, they're getting a free show over there. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's go into the Luis cameo. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the cameo, the character from Ant-Man played by Michael Pena and how he tells stories and it cuts to all the characters, but it's just his voice the whole time. Yeah. Okay. We're, we're, we're locking in exactly what this category means, so bear with us a little bit. All right, go ahead. It's on the train when Rufus is kind of breaking everything down. We, you know, uh, Michael Pena's character, Luis, comes in as if he's like a, another either angel or muse or whatever being, and he explains Loki's and Bartleby's past. So okay. we get to see their adventures and what happened, what why they're fallen from heaven, and then them deciding to go on this adventure. Nice. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great moment. Because then you have Ben Affleck and Matt Damon doing their voice. <laughs> doing the Michael Payne, yeah, thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I found one other, because I think you have maybe the perfect moment, mm-hmm. but I found one other moment that I think could work. And it's right after the boardroom scene. After they just murdered all those fools. And Luis shows up to tell Bethany and the gang about the boardroom scene. 
<laughs> so <laughs> we get Michael Pena recapping what happened in the boardroom to let them know how crazy these angels are. So again, we get Ben Affleck and Matt Damon having to do the Michael Pena thing as he tells them about this massacre. Do you still have the massacre or is that only shown through the Michael Pena? Oh, no, Pena? no, no. We, we 100% show uh-huh. the massacre. And then we just get a snapshot of it again as he's telling Bethany and them how dangerous these angels are. Mm. I, I just like want it. that scene twice. <laughs> <laughs> okay, next category is Tig Nataro. And this is where you take one of the characters, one of the actors out and replace them with somebody else. And this is based off the fact that Tig Nataro was put into the Army of Dead movie through green screen because of a problematic actor that they removed. And we think it's so good. And so we love good. Tig. And we love Tig. We love Tig. She should be in more things. Yes. Who are you replacing and who are you replacing them with? So I'm replacing, I'm, I'm cheating a little bit. I'm replacing Jay and Silent Bob. Okay. But I'm replacing them with the characters of Bill and Ted. No. With those actors. So Keanu Alex Reeves Winter. and Alex Winter. Yes. Oh my God. We're having Bill and Ted as the dynamic duo in that instance. It's the prophets. Yes, they are the prophets. Oh my God. I, I, I'm, in, I'm on board. I'm 100% watching that. <laughs> that is the most insane thing I've ever heard. And I absolutely love it. I, I, I want to see them air guitar. Yes. At the Angels. <laughs> That's how they predict oh my God. the world. On the train. The air <laughs> guitar. Oh my God. Yes. Love it. Love it. Um, I went a little more serious because I replaced Linda Fiorentino mm. as Bethany and I put in Winona Ryder. Ooh. Winona Ryder. I think that's an exponentially better movie. Yeah, she's going to add a lot more layers to that character. 100%. And I know she can do some of the funny, some of the more lighthearted stuff, but she can get real serious as well. Mm-hmm. I think it's such a better movie with Winona Ryder in it. Agreed. I like it. Yeah. Just like do both too. of ours. Yes. <laughs> Let's just remake the movie. Yeah. All right. Uh, awards. Let's finish this up. Uh, first award is the Prestige Award. And this is for the biggest WTF moment in the movie. I'll start. It's the Muse. I love Salma Hayek, but this character makes no sense. Adds mm-hmm. nothing to the movie. Disappears for half an hour. Just reappears out of nowhere to, again, add absolutely nothing to the story. Why do you exist? Yeah. I am going to go with Jay constantly looking for sex because it's just, it's so awkward every time it comes up and it takes me out of the movie. So it's just. Fair. Fair. Uh, Next is the overacting award. Still don't have a name. Gotta really come up with a name for this one. Yeah. I just don't have it right now. Uh, But this is for either good or bad a moment or a person you think was overacting in the movie. I'm going with Jason Lee as Azrael because in, in a good way, he, he is taking this character above and beyond. He's going just that extra step into making him almost ridiculous, but it works on so many levels. It He's so good in this. He is so good. But in you're this. right. He's, well, I think I, didn't we decide this is going to be called the spinal tap. Turn it up to a yes. overacting award. Yeah. He did have a name for this. Um, he is, he's so turning it all the way up. Mm -hmm. It could have been more downplayed and still worked. And he was like, no, screw that. No, no, no. This one is going to 11. I'm balls to the wall. Let's do this. Uh, mine goes to Jason Muse. Okay. As Jay. Yeah. I think he is, he has no idea how to 
not be at 11 the entire time. <laughs> he screams every one of his lines. He's constantly moving and bouncing around and like whipping his head back and forth. This dude doesn't know how to chill, not overact. Yeah. So giving it to him. Nice. Next is the Psycho Shower Scene Award. And this is for your favorite scene in the movie. Mine is right after the train scene when they have a small skirmish and Silent Bob tosses Loki and Bartleby off the train. They have a conversation in a parking garage. That is my scene. Mm. This is where we see the switching characters where Loki doesn't want to do this anymore. And Bartleby is a little too hyped up about it. And the way Matt Damon says, like, you remind me of him, man. You remind me of the Morning Star. You're just like Lucifer. And Ben Affleck's like, you shut your mouth. I'm nothing like their interaction here and watching them break is so great. It's just great. You have two great actors and they get to work. Work it. They yes. cook in this scene and it's awesome. And they are the winners of mine as well for the boardroom scene. It is just so good. It's a touch of that funny, but also very realistic at the same time of, yeah, these people kind of exist and yeah, they're going to get judged. And this is why I had that question of like, whose side are you on? Because the angels are like, yeah, they're doing the bad thing, but. Oh dude, I'm very on the side of the angels. We like Batman and he does the wrong thing. Yeah. So mm. the only thing that gets me is the blipping out of existence, but, but I would totally be on the angel side. Yes. Let yeah. them go home. Yeah, exactly. I uh, do have a runner up for that one though. Ooh, okay. Um, I have Rufus explaining religion on the train. It's uh, just, it explains so much of what even I personally believe in religion, what, where I came to as a person before even seeing this movie. And it just, it put into words a lot of thoughts that I've had. And it's so good. It's really great writing in this scene. It's witty. It's quick. It's Chris Rock absolutely nails it. Mm -hmm. But it's also a love letter to faith. It's so sincere. Yes. And yet funny at the same time. Correct. Yeah. Absolutely great. Great two choices. Next is the I'll be right back. Award. And this is for your favorite line in the movie. Mine is a funny quote from Loki because, you know, Loki is the best. And it's when they're kind of agreeing to go on this adventure. And he goes, Last four days on Earth? Mm. If I had a dick, I'd go get laid. We can do the next best thing. What's that? Huh? Let's kill people. <laughs> oh, not you. I love the, the oh, not you bit because he says it to a woman because they're in an elevator and he says it to the woman that's standing between them that kind of like just chokes. He's like, oh my God, you're going to go kill people. And he's just like, oh no, not you. Like it is, that is the, the funny part to me because yeah, he's all up. Once again, they're joking about Murdering really people. serious things and it's still just kind of funny to him. So funny. In fact, that he kind of chuckles when he's like, oh, not you. Mm -hmm. Great. Love it. Mine goes to Alan Rickman as Metatron and it is as he's leaving the Mexican restaurant and Bethany asks him, tell me what God's like. And he responds with God. Lonely, but funny. It's got a great sense of humor. Take sex, for example. There's nothing funnier than the ridiculous faces you people make mid coitus. It's the way Alan Rickman says this line. But it's also, again, 
Same with your line. It's this it's this weird sincerity mm-hmm. in it that it's yeah, it's funny. Ah, uh, you guys have sex and it's funny. But the way he describes God, God's lonely, but then has to follow it up with, but also funny. Like, don't get me wrong. God's not like some mopey bitch. Like, it's just such a great moment. It's just a great moment with him with acting as well because he has this you know he's been very like oh i can't be bothered like this is all so annoying and then he has this moment where he thinks about it and he thinks about god and he has this like almost like happy expression on his face where he's like i you know i love god yeah and this is me showing that it's also like he feels for god in that moment too Mm -hmm. when he says lonely he he's sad for god And that's why I think he follows up with the, but funny, but also really funny. And I love going one step further. So Bethany then asks. Sex is a joke in heaven. The way I understand it is mostly a joke down here too. (laughs) Great. Just absolutely great. Mm -hmm. Our penultimate award is the Han Shot First Award for what held up the worst since this movie came out. It's one answer, one answer only. It's Linda Fiorentino as Bethany. She's awful in this movie. I would connect with the character way more if it was anybody else in that role. And I think this movie could be an 8, a 9, a 10 out of 10, you know, something. And because she is the star, it's automatically points deducted. That's fair. For me, it is the character of Jay. He's just so problematic that, like I said, why he's my prestige award as well is it just takes me out of the movie every time he goes on his little sex rant. It's just, you tone that down just a little bit, this movie gets a higher grade from me. Agreed. It's very unnecessary a lot of times when he's doing stuff and you're just like, that's not what I'm here for. Mm -hmm. I'm like really into this story and I'm really into all this and then he talks and you're like, oh my God, I don't care. Yeah, you can make him be the, the unwashed in other ways. Yes. And our last award, as always, is the Paul Rudd Award. For what held up the best since this movie came out, I have a feeling we're going to have a very similar answer to this. Interesting. Go ahead. I'm going with the casting. Ooh. I honestly think majority of the casting, you know, uh, sans Linda, is spot on. I could not see these characters as being anyone else. I said it before, Ben Affleck and Matt Damon are believable as these angels. So is Alan Rickman. So is Alanis Morissette as God. Like, how do you have a character that is God and you have it be Alanis Morissette and it works? Isn't it ironic? Yeah. Don't you think? (laughs) A little too ironic. So just the casting is what makes this movie so good. Yeah, I really do think. Mine goes to the conversation about religion. This is a movie that I think a lot of people, myself included at 13 years old, when I was trying to figure out my belief system, I was raised Catholic. I went to church, but after eighth grade, after communion, my mom gave me the choice. You can either continue to go to church. You can never go to church again. You can believe you cannot. You could, you have all the information, make your choice. And I thought that was really interesting as, as a kid. And I made the choice to not because sitting in church every week sounded like the most boring crap I've ever heard in my entire life. Mm -hmm. Because growing up Catholic, church is very boring. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it is. And a lot of my friends were kind of in that same boat of like, I don't know if I believe or not, but like, I don't want to go to church. I don't want to do it. 
we didn't really know anything outside of that. We didn't know that you could just have faith without being religious because I, you're 13 and you're an idiot. Mm -hmm. And this movie opened up a whole new world of thought and the idea of like, you don't have to go to church to have faith. And it opened up conversations between me and my friends that we never would have had without this movie existing, without watching this movie yeah. about religion and faith. And because it opens up that conversation, that's what holds up the best for me because so many people probably talked about God and their belief systems that would have never talked about it otherwise after watching this movie. Yeah. That's, I love your answer. Yeah. I like your answer too, though, because I, I had a thought you were agree. going there. So I was going to, I swerved. <laughs> gotcha. I 100% agree. The casting is all those names I read in the casting. What ifs I think were, would have been fine. Mm -hmm. I think we landed on the perfect cast. Yeah. Besides of, Bethany. Yeah. So, all right. Final decision. I honestly think with all the problems that this movie has, the amount of good that comes out of it is so, so much better. So I do think it holds up. I love the fact that it can create conversation about a very hard topic and it approaches a hard topic in a very unique and uh, interesting way. Uh, I'm 100% with you. I think this movie holds up less than I remember it holding up. There are a lot of problems I have. Jay is nowhere near as funny as he was when I was 15 years old. <laughs> and he is very problematic. The directing style is very amateurish. Mm -hmm. Like, Kevin Smith really hadn't found himself as a director yet. I'm not even sure he's, he has to this day. Um, Linda Fiorentino is absolutely terrible. There's a lot of wrong with this movie. But the movie does so much right and has such a bigger story to tell than what we actually see on screen that I think this movie is 100% worth watching over and over and over again for that reason. And that's why it holds up. And I really hope they figure out how to make this available again because I feel like a lot of people should watch this. And if you're looking to watch it because you're like, I haven't seen it in a while and I'm wondering, go on YouTube. Search mm -hmm. Dogma 1999 on YouTube. You're probably going to have to watch it in like six parts and it might not be the best quality, but you can find it. And it's worth it. Worth it. So, all right, cool. So we agree. 1999's Dogma does hold up. Thank you for joining us on our first episode all about Matt Damon's movies. We'll be back next week with The Born Identity. Until then, be good to yourself, be kind to others, and keep watching movies. Bye. Bye.